0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Um, be continuing the Faith at Work series and thinking specifically about this idea of living greatness through inclusion. I chose to focus the talk on um, the story in Luke because I'm someone that loves stories, um, living out, out my faith through bringing out stories from the Bible into my day-to-day life. Um, I'm a story writer and you'll hear a bit more about that in a minute so it's definitely something that I thought let me take this back to storytelling and how we can look at stories to build ideas of what greatness in our day-to-day life. Um, I think reflecting on last week, if you were here, what Heidi said around actually our faith being connected from your home life to your work self to your um, day-to-day life is something that definitely rings true to me. Um, And so I think this is something that I wanted to reflect on, not just at work, but actually how we can live out greatness um, through inclusion across the different parts of our lives as well. Um, So today I'm going to be splitting this into two, so having a bit more of a zoom out and looking at um, actually what are the ways in which we think about greatness um, typically in society today, and the idea of being centered, greatness and success being centered on the individual, on the I, and on the self. Um, And then I'm going to be looking at how can we challenge that, and how can we actually live greatness out through inclusion, building on the words that we just heard in Luke chapter nine. And I'll be talking from my own personal experiences and sharing from my day-to-day life as well as my work. Um, I know I've just talked about not centering yourself in inclusion, but I am going to talk about myself for a minute. Um, So if you're wondering, yeah, who is Chanju? Who am I? Um, I thought this little Venn diagram kind of captures a little bit about me. Um, I think I firstly, see myself as part of community and one of my roles in life being part of community. Um, I was born in Zambia and grew up in various countries um, before coming to the UK when I was seven and have moved around quite a few times. And in each place, I think I've tried to make sure I'm rooted in community, living out life um, the way that I've seen Jesus live out his life in the Bible and bringing bringing community into my day-to-day world and trying to look for justice and opportunities to um, really embed that ideas of justice in the community in which I am. Um, And I think one of the things is actually, how does that reflect in my day-to-day job? Um, So my nine to five on a Monday to Friday, I work at an international charity called Plan International as a policy and advocacy advisor. focusing on um, education, so global education, and then also climate change. Um, The organization focuses on um, gender equality and children's rights and a lot of the work that I do is focused on how do we make sure that policies, programs, um, governments are taking the voices of those that um, are at the forefront of the lots of these inequalities and issues um, into consideration and at in partnership with them as they deliver programs, policies, and how do we actually challenge the structures that are at place that allow these inequalities to exist? So, working with young people across the world as well as um, people in the UK um, to kind of challenge that as well. Um, and then also I've got lots of passion projects so on the side I've done podcasts before and um, lots of different bits and I'm also a writer and have done children's books which are um, focused on bringing linguistic justice and talking their bilingual children's books in seven of Zambia's national languages and English. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about the project at the end but that's another thing that I do on the side so I really feel like there's lots of different hats that I wear so it was a bit of a struggle when I was thinking oh my faith at work I think I'll look at it across the board. And then I've put other stuff because I'm not just those three things um, as well. So I thought it would be good to, I forgot there was a clicker. I thought it would be good um, to start off on this idea of what does greatness mean? Um, What does greatness look like um, in our work, in our day-to-day life? And I think when you think about... Who's the greatest, or being the greatest, it really sometimes becomes quite self centered um, or centered on the individual. Um, in job uh, interviews, for example, we're encouraged to say why we're the greatest at something, why show how we as individuals or I have done X, Y, Z to accomplish this and kind of forget about the others that have been involved in that story Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have ambition to do the greatest that we can at something and it's not necessarily a bad thing to have that kind of drive to um, do as good as possible but actually taking that step back and thinking about what the, um, reflecting on what's driving that ambition um, it's easy for the driving force for your ambitions at work and life to be based on things like external recognition or validation um, rather than thinking of seeking justice or seeking um, inclusion and making sure that those around you are able to be there um, to celebrate that kind of success as a whole rather than just as an individual. And I think this is something that we see in that, that, the first verse in Luke 9, um, 46, so here the disciples are having their argument about who's going to who will be the greatest and which one of them is going to be greatest um and i think it's a bit of a strange thing i'm mean, I imagining the three of them so this is um peter john and james sat in a room just being like oh i'm the greatest because i've done xyz it's a bit strange and i think it's also interesting to reflect on where this um story comes in the sequence of events so this comes after um the transfiguration they've literally just seen Moses and Elijah appear before their eyes. Um, They saw Jesus glow like lightning, and they've also, this is the story that comes straight after Jesus had driven evil spirits out of a boy's um, body. Um, But their instead of kind of reflecting and reveling on that, um, sat there thinking about who will be the greatest. And I think it's easy to say that's a bit strange, um, you know, I, I wouldn't do that, but actually maybe they're looking for that external validation because they've just witnessed all of these amazing things, thinking about actually what, what am I, what's my value um, and how will people see me as successful? And I think there's a real human value that's placed on having that acclaim and celebration from others and making sure that you're, as an, individu- an individual, are the one that's on top, that's seen as powerful. Um, I think it's also centred on the eye um, and it kind of involves uh, leaving other people behind. So which one of them would be the greatest as if they can't all be part of that together? Um, and thinking about actually yeah, they're not bringing along the people that they're living with day to day, bringing along the community, bringing along the people that might not have had the same opportunities as them um, to be part of this discussion on greatness. So I thought it would be, within that context, interesting to reflect on kind of my role as a policy and advocacy advisor for an organization that is fo- focused on gender equality and girls' rights, um, where I'm most often thinking about this idea of what is the root cause of inequalities and gender inequalities, and that can underpin the marginalization and exclusion of people in so many spaces. Um, And especially in this idea of what is greatness in the world and what does success look like in the world and how that excludes um, people from different groups in so many different ways. Um, Personally, because I work on gender inequality, it would be remiss for me not to think about the example of patriarchy and um, what happens when one group um, specifically decides that they're the greatest, the most powerful, and actively um, center system and create systems um, and structures to make sure that they can retain that position and how that continues to be seen in our day-to-day lives um, and in the structures that we see um, every day. I wanted to just briefly reflect on some statistics that kind of show inequality in the workplace specifically um, and thinking about actually within patriarchy, this is the result that we can get, where four out of five companies in Great Britain are still paying their male employees more than female ones. Women are occupying just 20% of board seats globally, and then globally also men hold three quarters of seats in parliament and 73% of management positions. So it's seeing in the kind of bold scale, actually, when you think of success and greatness, by one group, how that can exclude another group. And this is a very gender, women and men um, focused thing, but actually there's lots of forms of marginalization and intersectional identities that are kind of excluded from this as well. And I think bringing this back to the story, Um, I'm not kind of suggesting that the disciples set in a room arguing had resulted in that many women being excluded from boards globally, but we can see how um, that discussion of actually we're the greatest and we're going to exclude these other people can actively create systems that uphold one group as above to another. Um, I think we can see how that continuous exclusion creates spaces that other people might not be able to fit into. Um, Later in the story we see um, John saying, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Again, because he is not one of us. And that kind of idea of actually we as a group occupy this space and others can't fit in, others can't be great or success because they're not one of us is something that we do see day to day. Um, I've done kind of research in my work as well around um, masculinities and addressing gender-based violence. And I think this is something else that um, Haiti reflected on last week, but how actually people having that exclusion can lead to some of the worst inequalities and violence and things that are going on in the world that are really terrible. So having that act of exclusion um, of gender identities that fall outside that box of what it means to be a successful or great man can cause so much inequality um, in the world, and so I just thinking about actually greatness can become that space of exclusion, um, excluding voices, excluding pe- experiences, excluding people, if ideas of success are derived from the um, kind of achievements of one person, of one group, of one um, way of being. And I've talked about kind of huge concepts of patriarchy, masculinities, and three disciples sat talking in a room arguing about who's the greatest after they've seen amazing things. Um, But how does that kind of reflect and zoom back into our day-to-day lives? I think each of us hold a space and occupy different spaces, whether that is formal work, whether that's in your community, in your household. And in each of those spaces, there's opportunities where people are excluded, where voices aren't being heard. And I think... Coming back to that question of whose voices are being heard um, in your spaces, are there opportunities for you as an individual to share power with those who would normally be pushed to the sidelines? Are we reinforcing or are we challenging the systemic structures and systems that have historically excluded people from being centred in that idea of greatness and that idea of success? Can we be successful if people are being left behind? And so thinking now about actually what does living out this greatness, what does living out, um, you know, in the way that Jesus spoke about greatness in this verse through inclusion, what does that mean for us? We see um, here Jesus kind of says, okay, hold on. You're all arguing about who's the greatest. I think that reflects that he could hear what was in their minds as well. And he brings up this small child and says, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all, who is greatest. Jesus is essentially saying, stop being self-centered. Well, in my opinion, Jesus is saying that stop being self-centered to the um, disciples. And actually greatness is based on ensuring the equal shares of power of those who have not been heard are being pushed, um, brought back into the centre. He brings a child who I think, um, for me, represents those voices that might have been marginalised, children at that time, and even to some extent today, um, are often voiceless or not given opportunities to participate, to speak, and here I think it's really telling that that's who he chooses to bring to be the example of what living out greatness would look like Um, although interestingly I did reflect that we don't actually hear from the child um, themselves in this verse um, which well I'm not gonna yeah I'm sure (laughs) maybe we will somehow other way (laughs) I'm sure there's somewhere some research about children's voices in the bible Um, but I think for me it's hearing this this story really represents um hearing how actually when we're thinking about greatness and success we need to be bringing in voices that we don't normally hear and we won't be able to be successful or great or live out our ambition if we're leaving people um behind it's about being driven by social justice um recentering the marginalized and rather than kind of being driven by our our own ambitions, being driven by thinking about oh, how can I be the best at what I'm doing because I want to get X prize, but actually how can we be the best together collectively and making sure that we're bringing up um, everyone in society with us. Um, It reminds me as well, just reflecting on my own experiences growing up, there's an African philosophy of Ubuntu, which I don't know if anyone has heard of, I'm sure a lot of people will have, it's this philosophy of I am because you are, and it's about our interconnectedness as humans and as people, but not just as connectedness with each other, but our connectedness with nature and the world around us. And it really, the kind of, that idea that actually we can't be successful, we can't be great if we're leaving people behind because we are i am because you are literally that um and we've seen jesus actively doing this throughout the bible um the people in his inner circle, for example, are some of the most marginalised groups in society. Um, how are we living that out in our day-to-day lives, in our work, um, in everything that we do? And I think it's also important to reflect that we might not be working in an industry that's actively or proactively kind of working on social justice issues, but there is space in every single thing that we're doing um, where this can be brought through. And so I wanted to share a few examples of what this has looked like in my own role, um, in my own roles and my career journey and some of the um, different projects that I've been involved in. Um, I wanted to start off with thinking about um, this idea of kind of bringing in marginalised voices and. Specifically, there's a risk when talking about this of getting that hero or um, savior complex of I've done this, I've, I've managed to bring in this voice, therefore it's successful, I've been great and successful at bringing in those voices and then it re-centers itself as well. Um, and lacks that nuance of understanding agency and working in solidarity with people that, are, um, that have these marginalized identities. And so I think one of the things that I wanted to share was from my own experience of not being part of the dominant group and trying to actually make sure that my voice and others like me's voices were being heard um, in the workplace. Um, And so early in my career, I was working in a corporate PR firm. um, And so that's public relations or communications. And um, it's, I mean, anyone that works in that field and sector will know that it's notoriously and historically a um, very white and middle class um, profession just um by the nature of yeah how it's been and so there's a statistic there that even and so that I was working in this industry a few years ago but even in 2021 um 87% of PR PR industry professionals described their ethnicity as white in the United Kingdom and so you'd imagine what um the kind of workplace that I was stepping into would have looked like and um one of the things was that I started noticing and that others had started noticing was that actually we weren't represented necessarily at higher levels of the organisation and higher levels um, of um, different areas. And so we, as a group um, of Afri- people from African and Caribbean heritage, kind of organised, started an employee resource group, group, but also working in solidarity with um, uh, with those who people were working in solidarity with us um, to make sure that our voices, the voices of people that look like us and other marginalized groups could be represented and seen throughout the um, different levels of the organization. Um, so that we could have a seat at the table, so that we could share power, share knowledge and share our own perspectives. Because I think one of the things is that we often focus on data and evidence and sometimes lived experiences is, I believe, that it's just as valid and important to centre those um, in conversations of how you can be successful in whatever industry, whatever place you're working. Um, and so we organised and kind of showed how there's different barriers for different people within um, reaching this kind of professional and kind of started challenging some of the power structures um, that might have closed off opportunities for people from different backgrounds. Um, I know that even as I've left, the group had continued organising and still exists. And for me, that was an experience of um, being driven to actually by this idea of actually my voice as a marginalised person in that particular context um, mattered and so did the voices of so many other people and bringing that to the centre but then also within that not centering myself and saying actually this is something that I'm not going to be like hey I started this up and this is me and then leave but actually do it collectively um, and with going along as a community together within the workplace to um, bring that out. And there's lots of other examples of how that might um, look like for you, whether that's things as simple as um, thinking about the meetings that you have or the different um, spaces in which you're where you are. How can you bring in different voices um, to those? And then I also wanted to think a little bit more about being proactively inclusive within communities and the different communities that we're in. Um, I said earlier on how I'm Zambian, I've grown up in lots of different spaces and different places mm-hmm. and so I really do feel like I've got a globalised and local community um, as part of my identity. Um, but. One of the things that I realised growing up outside of Zambia, but also going there pretty much every year, and it's a beautiful place that everyone should visit Zambia, just a little plug for the country, Um, is that English as a language, as a result of of the legacies of colonialism, um, has been the key kind of um, language that people kind of aspire to. Um, The education systems um, following kind of missionaries coming into the country and um, embedding kind of education based on UK and British Structures of education meant that English became the norm and the only way that you could you'd be seen as great or advanced or um, Going towards development. I don't like the term development, but yes um, uh, Was if you could speak English and I saw this um, through my parents they uh not very long ago were in high schools and primary schools where they would be punished if they spoke their mother tongue, their local language, um, around the schools, and they wouldn't be allowed to. They had to speak English, even if it didn't come naturally to them. And so you can think about h- what some of those lasting impacts would be on how you perceive your own language if you're being told the greatest language is this one that's been imposed on you. Um, and. So greatness in that context was equated to proximity to English and Englishness. And it's a huge issue to this day in terms of how people perceive it. The inequalities, we see huge divides between the rural and the urban because in rural areas, English isn't really a language that's spoken much at all, whereas in urban, it's taken up a lot more. Um, And so in my very, very small way, I, alongside some of the people that I've known, thought about how can we start to challenge this um, in the diaspora community, for example, where a lot of children that grow up outside of Zambia don't have access to resources or information about our languages, our culture. Um, How can we, can I make sure that there's something small that can start, um, that can contribute to the linguistic justice movements that are going on um, in Zambia more generally. And so I started the Zambian Narratives project, um, which is creating bilingual children's books um, from English into um, Zambia. Zambia has seven national languages and over 80 dialects. Unfortunately, I could not grasp doing 80 books. (laughs) Um, But we've gone to seven books, um, basically in English and each of those languages. And it's about thinking about how we can bring those languages back, put those languages back on a pedestal, how we can let children actually have access to the languages that for so long haven't, they've not been able to. And Um, to add that there had previously been books that have been written in, for example, Bemba and Nyanja, some of the languages there, but there's not been bilingual books and so that's difficult for people who might not have that base level understanding. So having something bilingual where you can compare and see both languages side by side um, is hopefully helping to um, get people to learn, relearn those languages. Um, I wanted to share a short video from the kind of launch event so you can actually visualise what I've been talking about because I realise it's quite an interesting concept. Um, so if we can play the video. <laughs> a family adventure. We're going on an adventure through memory lane, diving through the photos on Grandma's windowpane. pane. I pause up a moment, walk for Elisha, or copy to the Mukwevuka if a child is. Loya Mom simply walk with Tavisa, quick copuzaze. Mukwanuka I want you have to ensure that every no matter which country they live in, we'll have a resource that represents their culture and the language and Thank you. Um, I also just realised um, earlier, I was reflecting, saying, I've just spent so long talking about not centering yourself, and then it says, by changing ones that many times on the end of that but you know um but yeah i just that so this project is about bringing back um some of the languages that we have historically seen as marginalized and bringing in linguistic justice in the work that i'm doing and this is something that i started because I, as a child growing up didn't have access to this Um, and it's not a formal job in any means it's something that that I'm making mistakes along the way I'm I'm doing it really in community with um, some amazing illustrators writers um, and it's a great way in which to bring people to so like the video there there were so many people in that room who really cared about this issue and were brought about and thought about actually how can we organize as well to make sure that our languages are put up on the same level or even beyond of English and being seen as great and seeing that greatness um, there as well. Um, And these books are a very small kind of drop in the ocean of efforts that are required to um, make the changes and system change that's needed. But for me, I'm kind of driven by that ambition that they will one day be seen as great by every single person, um, that we won't continue having these debates of um, why aren't our languages being seen, why are there no books in our languages, why is English continuing to be um, the main kind of vehicle of communication in a language that was colonised by the English, um, in a country that was um, colonised by the English, sorry. Um, And I think as part of that as well, just working with people that have been doing the work on this for a long time, um, working with academics, activists, um, children. I've showed there as well, we've got, I um, included a young poet who's done really amazing poetry and bringing back that child into the narrative as well because at the end of the day, we can't be doing things for children without children um, as well. Um, And then finally, just to, briefly uh, reflect because I've realized that I've not really talked that much about my actual job um but I think some of my work in my nine to five I try and make sure that people with lived experiences are centered in the um work that we do whether that's talking to governments about policy formation and bringing along young youth activists whether that's um, working at national or international levels at big global forums where um, so for example um, climate forums or climate spaces making sure that actually children and girls specifically are being represented in those spaces and that's a large part of what i do day to day and i think for that i'm really driven by kind of this verse um, that we saw earlier around actually making sure that we are standing with children, we're standing in solidarity with them, that we're doing things together because success- we won't be successful unless their voices are represented as well. And so, just to kind of close and have a final reflection on um, kind of, yeah, this whole topic around actually how do we live out greatness through inclusion, how can we continue to have our ambitions and strive for success by bringing people along and making sure that we're uplifting and upholding and working in solidarity with those who are pushed aside or marginalized. Um, For me, it's about trying to live through this example of Jesus and bringing in that voice of the child, removing myself from the center and being driven by justice for others. um, And that's what it means to be great in my eyes. Um, I think my life depends on connection, community, caring and love because I can't say that I'm go- I am great or successful if others are still being pushed aside, if others aren't being able to have their voices heard. And so to end, I thought it would be great to just think about some questions for us to reflect on um, what motivates us in our work, in our drive for success. Um, How can we make sure that our goals in work, as well as our goals in life, are not just for our own gains, but actually um, making sure that we're doing something for society as a whole, that we're looking for justice? Um, How can, in each of our little spaces and spheres of influence, whether that's at work, in your home, in community, step aside to make sure that the voices that might have been silenced have an opportunity to be heard? How can we work in solidarity with them? How can we continue to challenge structures that are allowing inequalities to exist? And so I think for me, we can't really be great until without each other, and without living a life that strives for justice, against inequalities, no matter how great or small they seem, no matter whether it's global, local, in your individual workplace, in your individual home.